everyone. You're listening to Health Affairs This Week. I'm Leslie Erdelak. And I'm Michael Gerber. This is the weekly podcast where the editors at Health Affairs talk about the health policy news and stories we've been following throughout the week. Um, Leslie, before we get into today's conversation, I did just want to let listeners know about a new ahead of print article published this week in Health Affairs that highlights findings from the 25th annual KFF Employer Health Benefit Survey. So just be sure to take a look and see what employers are saying about premium costs, employee cost sharing, access and coverage and other issues. Yeah, that's great. So today on the podcast, we are focusing on California and some of the recent activities carried out by labor advocates and union coalitions in the state that resulted in pretty meaningful wage increases for healthcare workers. Yeah, it's always nice to talk about California when it starts getting cold here in D.C. and Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. right, Leslie? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's really two um, distinct but related stories here that I think even in the news we're getting a little confused together as they broke at the same time. Um, we'll be talking both about the a tentative labor agreement involving Kaiser Permanente that came after about 75,000 medical workers went on strike. And we'll also get into a bill signed by California's governor, which would raise uh, the minimum wage for healthcare workers to $25 an hour. And we know that labor tensions have just escalated since the pandemic and healthcare workers are, and they, they have been exhausted by staffing shortages and working conditions. And all of these feelings have just been intensifying and putting pressure on both the legislature and on large employers like Kaiser to do something to support these workers and preserve healthcare access for patients in the future. And these uh, two stories that we're going to talk about really do, I think, give us some insight into how these measures have played out in California. So let's start with the news about Kaiser. Sounds good. Um, Most listeners probably remember that Kaiser Permanente operates in several states, although its largest operations are in California. Um, So the 75,000 workers who are on strike and even more than that impacted by the agreement um, aren't all in the Golden State. Um, There's a few in a few other states. Um, Also, people are saying it's the largest strike of healthcare workers in the nation's history. So it was a big deal. Um, The actual strike itself was just for three days earlier in the month, and then the workers came back, um, but with the threat of a longer strike in November, which really brought everyone to the table, including uh, the acting secretary of labor, Julie Sue. I was reading about this. I saw that, you know, those negotiations lasted well into the night. Um, So what did they agree to? Yeah, it was clear they all took this very seriously. Kaiser had to shut down, um, you know, some outpatient um, clinics and non-emergent stuff during the three-day strike. So I think they knew that they need to come to some sort of agreement before things got worse. Um, so the the nurses, medical technicians, pharmacists, and other workers had, uh, in some ways, pretty simple demands, like a lot of strikes. Uh, they want better pay and they want more staff, uh, as you mentioned, burnout staffing shortages, um, which really existed before the pandemic, but were you know, certainly highlighted during COVID, um, were on the table. And they got an agreement that it looks like will give them potentially both with a significant pay raise across all Kaiser regions, although the raise is a bit higher in California. Um, the tentative deal, so it's still being voted on now by members of the Coalition of Unions, um, sets a minimum wage of $25 an hour in California and $23 an hour in the other states where Kaiser workers were striking. It also came with a 21% raise for all workers. Um, and this all gets phased in over the next couple of years. 
Um, and while the additional money in their pockets will certainly help these frontline workers, they're also hoping that you know the the raises help recruit more people to healthcare jobs and decrease attrition. Um, and as part of the agreement, Kaiser also agreed to invest in job training and some other programs to try to ensure a supply of workers. We've seen just this wave of organizing in recent months. I mean, it's been all all over the news. Dozens of strikes across different industries, not just the healthcare sector, of course. Um, so do you think this is the end of, I feel like I already know the answer to this, but do you feel like this <laughs> is the end of labor challenges for Kaiser? Uh, well, of course not. I mean, the labor challenges um, will never end for any organization and certainly not immediately in healthcare for for a large one like Kaiser. Um, I think I think everyone will have to look and see whether these deals actually help recruit more people, because as long as there's staffing shortages or not enough people to fill those roles, um, people are going to be unhappy. Um, but also, there's some more immediate pressing issues for Kaiser. Um, in fact, uh, right after the deal was passed, the um, members of uh, one of the SEIU branches up in Washington praised the deal, but at the same time, they voted to authorize a strike there um, if they can't resolve some specific disputes they have with Kaiser in Washington. Uh, they're saying that the the pay raise, uh, that 23, um, 21% raise over a few years and the $23 an hour minimum really aren't enough for Kaiser to compete in Washington State, where places like the University of Washington have also come to an agreement that give big raises to people. Um, and and they continued, again, even as nationally this deal was being praised on all sides, they accused Kaiser Permanente in Washington of, quote, bad faith bargaining, unfair labor practices, and refusal to address chronic short staffing concerns. Um, so if they, they now have a deadline of October 31st, and if they come, can't come to their own agreement, they say they'll go on strike. Um, and as you said, notably in all of these strikes, they're really emphasizing um, not just that they need more staff and they need to treat the staff better, but really that it's a matter of equity. Um, they're they're emphasizing how many people in these low wage jobs are women, workers of color, um, and they're also talking about patient safety and just how staffing models and not having enough people could impact patients. Yeah, it's interesting. Staffing and how do we attract and how do we keep more workers in the healthcare industry? I think that seems to be one of the strongest and most consistent pieces of messaging that the unions have um, sort of deployed in their organizing efforts um, here and, you know, to increase wages, um, among other things. And, and that's actually the focus of the next story that we want to get to. So late last week, and actually the same day that Kaiser announced its tentative deal, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed Senate Bill 525, which lays out a plan to raise wages for healthcare workers in most settings to $25 an hour. Um, this will include direct patient care providers, people like nurses and physicians. It also covers workers in support positions too. So um, food service workers, home health aides. The bill was passed in the state Senate and assembly in September. Um, you know, you, you might realize California's minimum wage is already um, among the highest in the country at 15, 15 hour, but it's now the first state with a law that sets a minimum, a higher minimum wage for healthcare workers and it's projected to impact just under half a million employees. And um, 
you know, like you said earlier, um, so what we're looking at here, three out of four workers who would see wage increases are women and 76% are workers of color. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting and and a, I think a bit of a contrast with the Kaiser news that this really covers pretty much all employees at these healthcare entities. In fact, if you read the bill, it specifically mentions those providing janitorial services, groundskeepers, and even gift shop workers. It specifically mm-hmm. mentions in the law. Um, so it's really broad. Um, I will say, uh, I have to bring this up, it also specifically exempts a few types of workers, including what it calls medical transportation services. Um, and as a, a former paramedic, I, I think from what I can tell that emergency medical technicians and paramedics, many of whom make well below these minimums, are not covered by the law um, and often not considered healthcare workers. So mm-hmm. just had to make sure I got that in there. Um, yeah, so when- and I'd, yeah, I mean, I'd have to imagine that many first responders and EMTs are feeling um, neglected and, you know, we're not familiar enough with the provisions of the law to say whether um, like hospital-based EMS workers would be covered. But, you know, the exclusion, I think, by and large, I'm sure has been um, sort of a a perennial and I know um, for you a very frustrating problem. Yeah, definitely. Um, When will employees who are covered start to see these changes actually go into effect? So the bill was amended several times during the legislative session to make it more attractive to healthcare facilities. And so timing was really a key sticking point here. The short answer, though, is that many workers are going to start seeing a gradual increase starting as early as next summer. Um, Not surprisingly, the bill was supported by influential unions in California. Um, You mentioned um, the SCIU, Service Employees International Union, earlier. The hospital industry, um, along with community clinics and dialysis centers, uh, they initially opposed the bill, arguing that it was going to be too costly, that it would increase healthcare costs by $8 billion annually um, at a time when hospitals are finding themselves in already unsustainable financial positions. So to get labor groups and hospital associations on the same side, um, lawmakers, of course, had to make a series of changes to the bill. Yeah, it's one of the things about the the Kaiser Agreement and this bill is that it seems that most parties are pretty happy, um, which is always nice to see legislation that um, gets praise from both sides. Mm-hmm. So what kind of compromises did they have to make to make that happen? I mean, one of the things they focused on was creating sort of different pathways to get to that $25 minimum wage instead of um, taking a more one-size-fits-all, um, blunt kind of approach. So one of the amendments was this three-tiered kind of phase in, which sets out a schedule based on the type and the size of the employer. So workers for large healthcare facilities will see their pay increase to $23 an hour starting in June of next year, followed by a $1 increase for the next two years. Um, Hospitals that are largely government funded, on the other hand, as well as hospitals in rural or um, small or rural areas, places that have have, um, see more Medicaid patients, are going to see um, their wages increase to $18 an hour next year. Then over a longer period, um, about nine years, their pay is going to increase by 3% annually um, until 2033. So that does leave some workers you know, waiting 10 years for that uh, full $25 an hour wage. 
But the final version of the bill, you know, also says, and this is where we get into some of those compromises, the final version of the bill also says that a statewide minimum wage for healthcare workers preempts any local ordinances or ballot measures related to compensation. And then a waiver program will also be set up so that health facilities that are truly, you know, in financial distress can temporarily delay some of these payroll increases. And uh, so how are people reacting to this Yeah, like you said, I mean, it ended up being good news. I mean, despite, um, for the most part, despite being on opposite sides to begin with, the California Hospital Association and the SEIU um, ended up supporting the new law. Um, They issued a joint statement as the bill was headed to the governor's desk saying it, it strikes an important balance between supporting workers and stabilizing the healthcare workforce in the future. And as far as the impact on the state budget, a group of economists at UC Berkeley pointed out that almost half of the families with a healthcare worker um, affected by the wage increase are enrolled in public safety net programs. So by increasing their wages, it's possible that California could actually see a reduction in its Medicaid spending as these workers become eligible for federally subsidized insurance instead. So some say it's worth considering the potential savings this law could generate in the long run, and it might be something that other states would want to watch. Yeah, those other impacts um, and the long-term effects on the budget of paying people better and how that could impact their insurance status and uh, are always interesting to see and I'd imagine difficult to know for sure what what's going to happen. What happens in California won't be replicated in every state, I would imagine, though, um, especially those who don't have strong union rights or labor protections. But on the other hand, you know, more and more um, California seems to serve as a model and testing ground for legislation like this, which is actually something I wrote about 20 years ago this month as a reporter for the Hill newspaper. And I just wanted to mention the coincidence that at the time I quoted a young congressman named Javier Becerra, who's now Secretary of Health and Human Services, who said California was in many respects um, its own nation and that Sacramento, quote, really behaves like a national capital. And with this minimum wage for healthcare workers uh, compared to what What's happening in the U.S. House this week without a speaker? Um, some might argue that Sacramento is more like a national capital than Washington is. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not unheard of for states to have minimum wages for specific industries. Um, Minnesota, Colorado, I think they do this. Um, but in many respects, you're you're totally right. I think California is just in a league of its own. Uh, yeah, I think we'll leave it there for today. Thanks a lot, Michael. And Thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to Health Affairs This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week.